You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. My guest on this episode of Talking Taiwan, Lisa Chang-Smith, has channeled her love of Taiwanese food and premium ingredients into creating Yunhai Taiwanese Pantry. Yunhai sources premium ingredients for Taiwanese cooking directly from artisans, farms, and soy sauce breweries in Taiwan. In this interview, Lisa not only talks about how and why she started Yunhai and her vision for the business, but she shares her favorite Taiwanese restaurants, cookbooks, and some great resources for tips on Taiwanese cooking. Taiwanese food lovers, this episode is definitely for you. I initially spoke with Lisa earlier this year, but so much has happened with Yunhai since then. So a week or so ago, we spoke again to get some updates. Be sure to listen to the end of the interview to hear all about all of the exciting developments. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thanks. I'm curious to know, um, what made you decide to start the business? Yeah, so I, um, I'm i half Taiwanese, and my mom's from Taiwan, uh, and uh, I've been going to Taiwan, you know, every year, every other year since I was 16, basically, and over time just kind of started to drift from the original things that my mom introduced me to, like Night Market and Taipei 101 and all of these things that, of course, I still love, but started to get to know a little bit more um, of the like less mainstream things happening there. So in particular, getting into kind of the slow food movement there and um, discovering people who were, you know, making products right at that moment, basically like people my age who were doing, you know, very cool things in food. Uh, but I had this hot sauce, Sue Chili Crisp, that one of my aunties gave me actually, and he, the, the maker, uh, was a classmate of my cousin's. And mm. I would just go to Taiwan and bring cases back, like meet him in an alley, and <laughs> pick up three or four boxes and bring them home with me. And I eventually, I just thought, well, you know, maybe I should just import this because, you know, partially I'm sick of waiting until I go to Taiwan to get more. But you know, my friends always ask me about it, um, and kind of in addition, I have a background in design goods, but mm-hmm. because of that, like supply chain and uh, e-commerce and retail mm. and inventory planning and et cetera. So I didn't feel like it was a total long shot to try to understand how to sell products. The food part was new. Um, so like, a couple, yeah, actually like two years ago, just about exactly two years ago, I uh, sold my first bottle, but I started just I air shipped 80 bottles over uh, and have grown from there. Where did your love of Taiwanese food or cooking come from? Like, what kinds of foods did you grow up with? Yeah, I grew up in Houston. Uh, as I said, my mom is uh, from Taiwan. My dad is American. Uh, so she would just take us to all these little eateries around Houston. I don't even know the names, but just having, like, noodle soup and stinky tofu and beef noodle soup and go to her friend's houses and make dongzi and dumplings and things like that. So... I actually didn't really learn to cook from my mom because, you know, I was supposed to be studying and not spending my time on (laughs) things like that. Um, But I definitely learned to eat from her and just like what foods she loved and, you know, all about kind of those traditional flavors. And then going to Taiwan with her, too, we Mm -hmm. always would Mm -hmm. just like stroll the night market again, which is what everyone does when they go to Taiwan or should do. Um, But uh, just... Yeah, really found my love 
through kind of like eating out and street food. And then in my 20s, I lived in Ann Arbor for a short time and worked remotely. Now everyone works remotely. So what I'm going to say is going to sound kind of like <laughs> normal, but was like, oh, I should start cooking. So I just started cooking. And also in uh, Michigan, it wasn't that easy to get the food that I wanted to eat. So um, I just kind of started self-teaching myself about like Chinese cookery and then started to get into more like Taiwan specific dishes. Um, and that's kind of how I found my way into it. Oh, great. So how would you characterize Taiwanese food? Like what would you say is unique about it? I think that's hard. I think that's unique about it is that it's partially that it is hard to characterize and that it's just such a mix, right? So it's less like what is unique about Taiwanese food for me as a question and more like, oh, well, how does Taiwanese food reflect on kind of the history and co- cultural context of right. Taiwan? Right. So that, you know, as we all know, is like, oh, there was like so many different types of colonialism that happened. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, obviously like the Dutch were there and then like early Chinese migrations, so of course, like Aboriginal tribes that are there. Japan obviously had a huge influence. And then, you know, the more recent wave of Chinese immigrants And now I think there's this new Taiwanese identity emerging, which, like, over the last 20 years, people are kind of, like, inventing their own food. I'm sure that, you know, like, being in Taiwan, you always see, like, tiny little eateries with, like, maybe a novel production trick that maybe they manufactured themselves, you know, or, like, bubble tea is, like, such an inventive food. So it's really such a, like, mix of different influences, but I think, like, those together kind of make this Taiwanese food experience. So one product I carry is, like, a miso soy paste, which I think is very Taiwanese because mm-hmm. it's mixing this Japanese-style yeah. uh, fermented soy product, miso, with soy paste, which is also, like, I mean, that is also very traditionally Taiwanese, but it's more from the Chinese mm-hmm. side of the culture into one product. And... Um, I think you see that a lot in Taiwan. Yeah. So in addition to all of the like traditional popular foods that we all know, like beef noodle soup and there is this kind of like mixture um, that happens there that I really appreciate. Yeah, I think there's probably even some Southeast Asian influences too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. What are some of your personal favorite Taiwanese dishes? That's a hard one. Um <laughs> You know, I think that, like, when I go, I love it all, and I think what I love the most is, uh, like, discovering new things. So when I'm there, of course, like, I want to get, like, my bowl of beef noodle soup and, like, bawan and all of that, but what I love most is walking into, like, an eatery that doesn't have, like, a name, Mm. and I can't really read the menu, Mm. and just try to (laughs) order these dishes that are more home style. Mm -hmm. So I had an amazing meal there at, uh, like, Hakka Restaurant, and it was all goose, like everything was based on goose. I just hadn't even had that mm. before, and it hadn't crossed my radar at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was just such an amazing experience. But um, to me, I just love the fresher side of, of eating in Taiwan. Like everything is so fresh and, um, you know, bought at these local markets day of. So something as simple as like a stir-fry clam with basil, um, those kinds of like wok dishes I really love. Not like a direct answer, but I think yeah, that's yeah. what I look forward to. When you started your business, how long did it take to get the business up and running? 
Uh, not very long. So I incorporated like six months before just because I was thinking about doing something. Mm-hmm. And then when I decided to go for it, again, I still do this on the side. So it's not like a huge, huge business. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, a matter of like making the decision, getting the product, um, you know, throwing a website online. But again, because I've had experience in all those areas, it, I definitely felt like I was just using my knowledge um, and it was so enjoyable because I felt like I was in control of every part of the process. Uh, and then, you know, I was air shipping, so that did not take too long to start. Mm-hmm. Great. So, yeah, maybe like a couple of months. Of, but, of course, I was like working on iterating. Yeah, I was iterating through the process and, um, you know, gradually improved it week by week by week. So I didn't wait till everything was perfect to start. Great. That's a great tip for anyone who's thinking about doing business, especially if it's a small management mm-hmm. business, to just get up and running first. Yeah. Can you tell me about the name of your business and how I understand there's some story behind that? What does it mean and how did you come up with it? Yeah, Yunhai, which I actually can't even pronounce. It's probably one of the <laughs> hardest to pronounce phrases in Mandarin. Um, but it means cloud, ocean, or sea of clouds. Mm-hmm. And it essentially describes this natural phenomenon where like the clouds sink below the peaks of the mountain. And so when you're up in the peaks, it's as though you're kind of gazing down on the ocean, which is such a beautiful thing to experience. And the last time I was in Taiwan, too long ago now, um, well, I should say the time before I started the business uh, for my honeymoon, we were up in the mountains at a tea plantation and mm. the driver that we were with described this like Yunhai phenomenon and how it uh, was really important to tea growing because it uh, created, you know, a lot of humidity and mm. also uh, lessened the amount of light. And to me, that just represented the kind of terroir for Taiwan and like the flavors in Taiwan and, and agriculture there. Um, so that's why I chose that because the products that I'm, you know, trying to bring are really like these local products that like the soy sauce that I sell is all brewed in terracotta pots, you know, basically like in a location uh, where sunlight is so long and it can only really be brewed in Taiwan that way because of the particular uh, geographic location and conditions. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And Taiwan is three quarters mountainous, so this phenomenon probably happens quite a bit. And uh, as an online businesses, what kind of challenges have there been or what kinds of like different kinds of sales and marketing tactics do you need to use? Yeah, um, this is a really interesting one to talk about now because the entire game is kind of changing. So mm-hmm. during the day, I run e-commerce for a pretty big Danish furniture brand and mm-hmm. they have like all kinds of different challenges in a small business. Um, but, you know, I think for like a small business, uh, really to me, I think the hardest part is figuring out your operations and your fulfillment. Um, Because so many people now with a tool like Shopify or Squarespace, I favor Shopify, Mm -hmm. um, you can get a website online and you can like easily uh, put in, you know, photographs and product descriptions and all of that. And those tools also make it easy to like do email marketing. Mm -hmm. But once you have the orders, how do you get them out the door? Yeah, on a timely even, basis. Yeah, and even worse, or maybe even better, if you have like a press piece and you sell, you know, a hundred times the volume of a normal day, mm-hmm. 
are you even prepared to handle that? Right. So I think that setup is the most challenging thing. And the additional thing is like staying in stock. So inventory and planning, which mm-hmm. again, it's part of my day job. And it's something I think about a lot, but um, you know how, of course, like people love to advertise like, Oh, that's sold out the first time I got it in. And it's like, well, how many did you order? Like, mm-hmm. did you order a lot? Did you order a little? Like what's your plan? And being sold out can like look good from a marketing point of view, but like it means that your cash flow is, on pause and that's a really difficult thing when you're a new business trying to fulfill orders get customers get you know leads um and that takes i think a lot of skill and trial and error uh to get right um and you know i go out of stock all the time Mm. and it's just so painful every Mm. time um, I think it's getting better, but it's just like getting that supply chain, mm. especially when you're ordering from overseas, right. kind of discipline. Yeah. But I think it's a good time now for small businesses. I mean, honestly, I don't do uh, almost any paid advertising. I probably will start, but so much can be done now with word of mouth or just building a following, like emailing your customers, just really like honest emails, like, that. during the holidays I sent an email that was just like hey I want to let you know what I achieved this year you know thanks so much um, it wasn't really like a marketing email but a lot of people bought from me for the mm-hmm. holidays so mm-hmm. people are really listening now they want to support small businesses and brands especially you know through the e-commerce channel that's great good to know I'm also curious to know you do have a business partner Ivan Wu how did you two meet yeah, so I uh, used to be uh, like a creative director and, and essentially kind of like was running a uh, design brand called AreaWare, mm-hmm. which makes like cute design goods and uh, manufactures them overseas. So, ta- so Ivan, who uh, lives in Taiwan, uh, was one of those factory owners. Mm-hmm. And I just went over there to like, you know, do a factory visit. Mm-hmm. So many times you go do those factory visits and you end up just eating in the hotel restaurant like every day oh dear. because they don't want you to leave and like go on the street, et cetera. But Ivan and I were in Taiwan and we just went around to eat. We went to, I remember so clearly, a uh, like milkfish stall oh. in Taizong and just hit it off. So, <laughs> you know, we just kept in touch throughout and I had always voiced to him that I wanted to do something to promote. Taiwanese food and culture through products and Mm -hmm. when the time came he was very down to partner with me so he provides kind of the logistical strength in Taiwan so if I want to bring on a vendor he and his team there's a woman named Fong that works for him uh, Mm -hmm. and for me and she is great but she's the sourcing manager so she'll go have the conversation with the vendor check out their facilities make sure it kind of meets our marks she'll make sure things get palletized so the kind of purchasing, procurement, and logistical stuff is happening in Taiwan through Ivan. Great. Um, and I have to ask, in this time of COVID, I'm wondering how has COVID affected you and your cooking? Because, you know, all of us, a lot of us are staying at home, we can't eat out. How has it affected you and your cooking? Yeah, I think that um, the biggest effect for me is that it's forced me to improvise much more Mm -hmm. just because ingredients are not it's not that they're not as readily available but you know we try to limit our outings Mm -hmm. so gone are the days of like oh I'm going to plan this specific feast Mm -hmm. and then make my list and go and get all those exact things Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more like okay we eat at home three times more often yeah so what's in our pantry what can we make and 
how can it still be something that we enjoy? Um, which has been great. I mean, I've just been kind of like really sharpening like my stir fry skills, just <laughs> doing like really like whatever we have, just trying to like make something creative with it. Um, I have to say though, we, I have not been cooking that much because of the business, haha. Uh. And also we had a baby. So it's just like kids, business, and then my husband is in grace and doing all the cooking. And oh, wow. Nice. Not he's not Chinese or Asian, but mm. he like might as well be like honorary Taiwanese <laughs> because he's always cooking. Oh, that's wonderful! Taiwanese dishes, wonderful. Yeah, you have him trained well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and in my research for this interview, I came across a piece in Bon Appetit magazine about you, and I learned that you love throwing Lunar New Year parties. Um, so I have to ask, I wonder how is COVID going to affect your Lunar New Year dinner plans and what's on the menu this year? Yeah, Lunar New Year. So that's, you had asked before how I got into cooking. I kind of like forgot to mention it, but really the Lunar New Year parties were kind of the gateway, <laughs> gateway drug to just <laughs> extreme Chinese cooking projects. But, um, you know, those parties have gotten scaled down as I've gotten older. I'm, I'm in my late 30s with the kids, so we mm-hmm. don't like necessarily throw these like 100 person parties like we used to but it does mean that we're not going to be gathering with family Mm -hmm. and like you know the cooking is going to be more subdued Mm -hmm. this year I'm actually not sure what I'm going to do for our family but I am collaborating with uh, Rose Bakery Hmm. which is the like um, I mean it's kind of it's a British cafe actually and it's in the uh, ground floor of all the Dover Street markets around the world I don't know if you're familiar Dover Street Market is like a kind of like high fashion emporium started by uh, Ray Kawakubo of Comme des Garçons. So it's mm-hmm. like a very like cool mm-hmm. uh, place to be, and I'm excited that they wanted to work with me. Yeah. But their food is, um, they kind of like adjust their menu according to where they're located as far as you know, I understand mm-hmm. it. Um, but the executive chef there is, you know, she's all about like honoring ingredients and honoring, you know, it's like a very vegetable-forward menu. But because there's so many she didn't say this, but in my mind, like, because there are so many, um, kind of like Asian, Chinese, Taiwanese people in, they're located in the east side of New York, Mm -hmm. that they've very successfully done, like, Lunar New Year menus and have tried to be kind of as authentic as possible. Um, so I'm collaborating with them, so they're going to do, like, a menu with every product, uh, or sorry, every dish using a Yunhai product. So a lot of that will be pretty traditional like we just talked about like clam ginger soup like clean beautiful flavors but also they'll try to do a pastry that incorporates soy sauce so that'll be a fun collaboration oh, that's wonderful and that'll run from february 5th through i think the 14th mm-hmm. but um yeah it's really great and then the you know the the chefs working there one is i she's chinese and one is from the philippines and so they like really know what they're doing and i think it's just great that they change their menus so much and like really enjoy kind of playing with ingredients and you know putting forth food that wouldn't be like in a traditional like english cafe basically so it should be very fun yeah great and um do you celebrate other taiwanese festivals throughout the year like the other popular one would be the mid-autumn moon festival you know i do in the like uh i want to actually get more um intentional about it so I put actually all of the Taiwanese holidays into my calendar this year because I want my kids to uh, participate more so I did do that growing up with my mom and mostly it was like um, 
you know, eating the holiday food, not so much like the other things. Yeah. Probably because it was hard to, like, participate in those, and we didn't, mm. like, get off for them or anything like that. But um, I've noticed that I've kind of been missing the dates on those just because, you know, we've been so kind of, like, mired in other things. So this sure. year I really put everything in my calendar. But yeah. one we do always do is, like, the Dragon Boat Zongzu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, And then, Zongzu, of course, yeah. your New Year. Yeah, and then we try to do, you know, like... Any opportunity to eat tang yuan, I'm like, yeah, let's yeah. do that. But, um, but yeah, I, I definitely am excited to get more intentional about it and learn more about the kind of history behind the holidays and the meaning. Right. Could you explain what the slow food movement is? Oh, the slow food movement? I don't feel like I'm an expert, but essentially kind of like a return to more traditional uh, land practices and agricultural practices, um, trying to grow like heirloom varieties of rice for example that may not be like as hardy or weather resistant um and also like cooking so we talked i talked about being kind of like ingredient forward and vegetable forward so also cooking in a way that um i don't want to say is like traditional but is like simple and skillful uh and not relying on like convenience foods too much so right. that's how I understand it. This is like very related to like the whole Alice Waters cookbook, hmm. which I haven't explored that much. But I, I think Alice Waters is affiliated with the slow food movement here. Um, but kind of like farm to table, I think, would be like a great way to describe it as well. So like farm to table came out of these kinds of this return to agriculture and the farm and cooking in that um, ingredient honoring way. Mm-hmm. So. That's very much happening in Taiwan. Oh, I see. Good to know. Have you considered writing a Taiwanese cookbook? I have. I would love to. That's something that's (laughs) high on my list. So I think the first step is actually developing just an archive of recipes for Yunhai. So I've started to do that. And I think that, you know, the thing that's holding me back is really just, in addition to time, it's just like how much it takes to publish something that someone else can follow. So mm-hmm. when I did recipe development for Bon Appetit, mm-hmm. they were amazing to work with. Um, but when I was in the test kitchen, you know, there someone was kind of shadowing me, the, the recipe editor, and she was like, wait, did you use like a teaspoon or half a teaspoon? And I'm like, I don't know. I just put some <laughs> in. And uh, like I could write down and then I would adjust it. And she's like, wait, what did you just add? And I'm like, I don't know. I just added a little bit, <laughs> which of course you need when you're publishing a recipe yeah. with quantity measurements. And I just realized that there was so much discipline that went into publishing a repeatable recipe. Mm -hmm. And not to say that everyone would cook like that. Even if you follow the recipe, you don't cook like that. But Mm -hmm. when you develop a recipe, you need to, like, test and test and test. And, like... Yeah, there needs to be some kind of consistency. Yeah, exactly. It's a technical writing project. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that's Mm -hmm. kind of, like, slowed me down. But I am excited to do... Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) And actually have been... uh, There's a few that I'm going to be publishing on my site. A few um, recipes you're going to be publishing on your site? Yeah, I have a mm-hmm. few now, and I have a few more that I'm going to publish. And then, you know, eventually I'll be doing this full-time. And once I, I'm in that mode, I would definitely be... I've already thought about, like, oh, I need to dedicate one day a week to recipe development. Yeah. And kind of, like, writing. So, mm-hmm. so it's you know, I don't know if a cookbook, it kind of depends on if a publisher would want to work with me, but mm-hmm. definitely self-published. So Yeah, yeah. Um, would you be able to recommend any good ones out there? Do you know of any good Taiwanese cookbooks? Well, yeah. Kathy Erwe's Food of Taiwan mm-hmm. is like the new classic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, actually, if any 
there's not that many like title yeah. only cookbooks. Um, yeah. Of course, like so, Kathy's is like amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that uh, the food of China, I think, is all under heaven. Is the name of the cookbook, but mm-hmm. it's by Carolyn Phillips. Mm. And she's like a white American woman that lived in Taiwan and married mm. a Taiwanese guy. I believe she didn't tell me this, but I'm like obsessed with her. So I looked up her history. <laughs> She's had this blog. I think it's called like Madame Huang's Kitchen, but her mm. food blog is amazing. It doesn't like the styling is, you know, basic. And she's like taking pictures, I think just with her cell phone, but the level of quality of the information and the research and the originality of the recipes is really phenomenal. So she has her cookbook called All Under Heaven, but her blog is just such a resource for me. Like everything from baking, like, you know, peanut flour buns to, um, like, making uh, sour plum tea, san mei tang, is on her blog. And it's just stuff that you don't find typically when you search for, like, Taiwanese recipes online, which typically, you know, divert to, like, the more known dishes. There's another site that I love called Choo Choo Kachu. I'll give you a spelling of that, but it's, like, Choo Choo like a train. Mm-hmm. And then Kachu like chewing. But she's... Um, the woman who does that is a Taiwanese woman who moved to Rochester, Minnesota. So she's like really like out there and in like a really cold state, like probably the furthest away you could be from Taiwan, basically from a a climate perspective. But she works with like the local farmer's market there and is like really plugged into, again, that kind of slow food, traditional foods movement. And she has an amazing food blog that features a lot of great Taiwanese recipes as well. And I couldn't close this question out without mentioning Taiwan Duck on YouTube. Have you seen that? No, no. This I'm getting educated oh, here. So uh, thank you so much for sharing all these resources. It's fascinating. <laughs> Taiwan Duck on YouTube is, um, she's probably my mother's age. She's, again, Taiwanese woman living in uh, the UK, married to someone in uh, from the UK and she does these YouTube videos but it's just the best and her she doesn't do any measurements she's just like one bowl of this two bowls of that <laughs> one thing of this one thing of that but uh, yeah just my favorite what kind of products does Yunhai currently sell um, and what are some of your best sellers yeah we uh, sell ch- a chili crisp or chili oil uh, a mala shangyo basically and um, a bunch of different soy sauces and soy paste so the soy paste is also, some people call it thick soy sauce, but it's zhang yu gao, which is like thick soy sauce, basically. Um, but like when you see it on bottles in Chinese grocery stores, it sometimes says soy paste. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of like a difficulty with translation there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to have a Malaysian style hot sauce that we're bringing back. Um, that one is kind of on hold because of the COVID supply chain uh, issue for the producer. She mm-hmm, can't get back to Taiwan because mm-hmm. of like all of the very strict quarantine mm-hmm. rules. Um, so that's kind of the product mix. It's a very small product mix. There's a lot of different soy sauces. Um, and I've been slow to onboard new vendors, partially because it's, it's difficult to convince people to sell to you when they don't know you. And, mm. and especially I've found that in this, kind of group of I don't know I don't quite know how to say it but like the people who are invested in creating these products are not in it for the money or Mm -hmm. for growth right because they're really hard to make they're really expensive they're Mm -hmm. really niche so Mm -hmm. in general they are making as much as making as much product as they can and Mm -hmm. the local market is taking all of it 
So to say, like, hey, I want to open a sales channel in the U.S. for you. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty big proposition, and, like, they're not always, like, growth-minded, which is, you know, why I want to work with them. <laughs> so sometimes it's hard to get them to say, like, okay, we'll work with you. So just recently I got a couple more people who are excited to work with me, probably because I have a reputation now. Mm-hmm. Um, so this year I'll be bringing in really amazing cold-pressed sesame oil with white and black sesame oil, mm. um, tea seed oil, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, cold-pressed peanut oil, which I'm really excited about. And that is produced by, um, you know, in the old days, people would just bring their oil tin to, like, the oil, the stone presser or whatever, mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. get their tin filled up with, like, fresh, very fresh pressed peanut oil and stir-fry with that. And it's wow. so good, so flavorful. So mm-hmm. I'm working with one of those old um, oil manufacturers. Uh, they're doing it in the traditional way. And then also stone ground sesame paste mm-hmm. and um and I'm hoping to bring in these really delicious jams and jellies by mm-hmm. a woman who uses, like, all, like, locally grown organic, well, not USDA organic, but, you know, grown without pesticides, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I want to eat fruit, so, like, mango butter and, like, guava jam and wow. mantis honey jam, like, just really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the flavors. Yeah, and that's, that's what I mean about Taiwanese food, too, is that, like, it doesn't have to be, like, traditionally like Chinese or mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Like this is to me it's like very Taiwanese all mm-hmm. these Taiwanese fruits and flavors. Mm-hmm. But like this woman has become kind of like a marmalade master <laughs> and is like using, you know, like green or yellow limes or whatever from Taiwan and kumquats to like take it to the next level. So mm-hmm. very excited about that. Yeah, I can just imagine all the craftsmanship behind it the way you're describing it. Could you talk about the standards that you have for your products and where you source your products from and how you choose them? Yeah, so the standards are, um, like, there's a few different ways to approach it. So, like, I'm very, very interested in the supplier or the vendor and their voice and their story. So, first, I, like, really care about who I'm buying from and why I would be buying from them. So, to me, I'm not interested right now in, like, just going to a distributor and being like, okay, let me take, like, X, Y, and Z product. I want to know the people that are making the mm-hmm. food. Um, and then I think, you know, I'm looking for a mix that's representative of, like, a of a wider pantry. So even though I only have a few products right now, I, I really want to bring, like, a rice wine and a vinegar and, like, what would be useful to a home cook. Um, and then for standards, it's like, yeah, I really want things to be not necessarily completely handmade, but I want the maker to be really close to the process. Uh, and I don't want it to be like an automated factory situation necessarily. Uh, I think the origin of the ingredients and the production processes are really important. But I think those things are also related to price because if something's handmade, then it is going to be a higher price product. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there are also like really amazing, cool, inventive products that are made in more standard manufacturing mm-hmm. um situations that I'm also really interested in and I don't want to say like well that way of making something is not worthy mm-hmm. uh, so like I'm not like opposed to products that aren't you know like handmade in someone's like backyard under the sun I start there but there are like I'm definitely like also flavor first so mm-hmm. yeah what's the story what are the flavors like where does this fit into somebody's pantry or somebody's daily use? 
I understand that um, you have some kind of a connection to Winston, the Taiwanese American restaurant in Brooklyn, New York. Um, were you going to have some product placed in one of their locations, or what's the connection? Yeah, they were my first retailer, so I just kind of walked in off the street because I went to the restaurant uh, before I started the business. Mm-hmm long before and just was like oh this is great I love how they're using like the Chinese spelling of the dishes and the chef Trig who I, who's now a friend of mine seemed like you know very uh, he was like in the back like cooking the food and was just very involved um, and so when I started the business I just kind of messaged them like hey can I can you try this and let me know what you think so I just walked in off the street mm-hmm. and they tried the soy sauces and loved them and just have been so amazing to work with and so generous with just integrating me into things like I did like a you know I provided the soy sauce for like a pop-up meal that they mm-hmm. did I think with Eater um, and then they like built a little like retail shelves when they were building their new uh, Winsan bakery mm-hmm. to sell and showcase my product and were really flexible on terms so they've been just instrumental in helping me grow my business and you know they buy my product too for their food and it's again it's like not like any expensive product it's expensive and I can't afford to discount that much so you know they're really supporting um, the cause yeah I've just been blown away at, like how great they've been to work with so my relationship with them is like supplying product and mm-hmm. just dialoguing about Taiwanese food do you have any favorite Taiwanese restaurants in New York that you could recommend to listeners yeah I do um, you know, there's, like, the kind of, like, trio that I love, of course, of, like, more new Taiwanese. So there's Winsan we talked about is great. Um, that's more fusion-y, though. 886 is phenomenal, and Ho Foods is phenomenal. So I don't know if you've talked to those No, two, I haven't. Uh, I, well, I have been to Ho Foods, and you said 886? Yeah, 886, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you been to 886? No, I think I tried to go there and um, wasn't able to get in. It's one of those busy nights. Cool, yeah, 886 is is great too they're like definitely I think their walk work is amazing um Ho Foods you know obviously has a different angle too with like the more like uh, noodle shop Bantuan shop and um and then there's Winsan but I live in Jackson Heights so mm-hmm. kind of close to Flushing but mm-hmm. I have found Elmhurst New York or Elmhurst Queens to just mm-hmm. be such a amazing resource for Taiwanese food. So my favorite restaurants there are, there's a place called Happy Stony Noodle. Uh, it's a kind of a beef noodle soup shop, but they do like really a wide range of like, Taiwanese classic dishes. Like, you know, the, uh, I don't even know the Chinese name, but it's like the celery, uh, pork and tofu strip kind of dishes. Those are so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Q Town, which is in Flushing. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're walking by, you couldn't tell these are Taiwanese, but I look at the menu, and I'm like, oh, this is totally Taiwanese. <laughs> they have, like, fly head and, like, galleon beef roll and things mm-hmm. like that. And then there's also uh, Pulau Penang is a Malaysian restaurant. It mm-hmm. builds itself as a Malaysian restaurant, but looking mm-hmm. at the menu, I'm like, this is owned by a Malaysian <laughs> and Taiwanese person, because half of the menu is Taiwanese <laughs> and half of That place is also excellent. So those mm-hmm. are the three that we're lucky because we can order, you know, like, delivery from them. Yeah. I'm so spoiled. I tried to stay in like Brooklyn for a week when we were renovating our house, and I was like, "What is going on with the delivery? How is there like nothing I'll eat?" <laughs> so I'm pretty spoiled. Wonderful. Um, so, what are your future plans for Yunhai? It sounds like you do want to do this full time eventually. Yeah, future plans. I mean, there. I have so many plans. So, um, I mean, I think that in 
the near term is figuring out how to do this full time, which actually like I'm pretty close to that. It's just kind of like a matter of timing. Oh, um, you know, sales have really grown over mm-hmm. the last year. Uh, so there's that, which is like I really want to increase my product offering and reach more people and as I said, put more recipes on the site, provide more information about the ingredients. Um, but I think there's also kind of like a content and, you know, how involved can I be in just like uh, introducing people to Taiwan or mm-hmm. uh, developing the knowledge about Taiwan for people who, you know, maybe like, like Taiwanese Americans mm-hmm. or even my mom who doesn't know that much about like the slow food movement there. Mm-hmm. So one thing I'm working on with my friend Steve Chen, who's just an amazing uh, film director is like a soy sauce mini documentary. It's oh, like that's 13 amazing. minutes long. But we like went to, or he, I mean, he did all the work. I just kind of said, can you do this? But he went to the soy sauce factory, or it's not only a factory, it's like the brewing yard of Yuding Xing and just interviewed them and documented their process. So that's coming out. Hope, I'm not sure exactly when, but like sometime in the next couple of weeks. So there's a lot of projects that I want to oh, do like wow. that that are not related to product necessarily um the other idea i have is like eventually having some kind of storefront i'm saying that very tentatively like Mm -hmm. question mark but i've always dreamed of having more of a like taiwanese type like not grocery store but almost like deli where you can walk in and yeah you can get your pantry items but you could also pick up a bag of frozen zones out of the freezer case Mm -hmm. and oh like i had yes bakery and flushing deliver a bunch of like I don't know if you're familiar with, like, the Boston cream pie, Taiwan style. It's, like, a whipped cream cake. <laughs> so good. But, like, if I could just have that delivered in the cold case daily mm-hmm. and just have, like, a real, uh, like, centralized a lot of the mm-hmm. amazing products that mm-hmm. can come in from Taiwan and, like, Taiwanese people working locally to create sort of a more takeaway prepared foods experience. So that's mm-hmm. on my mind, but mm-hmm. seems further out. I love how um, your business um, kind of marries the whole idea of this craftsmanship and history and then, like, the story of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And um, it's so rich with all the possibilities of how you can present and introduce food to people. Yeah, the human element has always been number one. So that's, like, in my about statement mm-hmm. is, like, the human side of food, basically. Mm-hmm. How often do you get back to Taiwan or would you like to get back there? Yeah, I mean, it's very, but I would say that since I was, I didn't go at all when I was, like, between ages, like, 2 and 16, mm-hmm. and then when I turned 16, I did, like, the baby boat program, basically, <laughs> and then um, was there, like, every year, every two years since, uh, and I would like to go once a year or twice a year, even, if I can, Um I think with the business, I mean, the business is really just a way for me to be able to go to Taiwan and like fund that. That's the joke. Um, <laughs> but like, I would love to just go, yeah, as, as much as possible. I've even considered like trying to live there for a year. Um, but you know, right now it's hard. No yeah. one, no one knows when we can travel again, which is great because during the Scorsas documentary, I was like, oh, these are like images from yesterday of what <laughs> people are doing and it's like beautiful sunlight. Yeah. So that was like a very vicarious experience. And uh, when you are there in Taiwan, um, do you have some favorite places or dishes that you must have, like when you get there, like there's something that you, some place you have to go or some dish that you have to have? Yeah, um, I actually love to go to, I think it's called, I'm maybe going to butcher the name, but Ningxia Night Market in Taipei. It's Mm -hmm. a very small local night market. Mm -hmm. It's not like 
doesn't have a lot of like games and merchandise. I always love to go there and just walk through and just like pick up the food there. It's a little bit more not home style, but less like um, commercial fast food, you know? Oh yeah, yeah less yeah. fast food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like very local stuff. So I love to go there. Um, you know, of course, I have to get like my bowl of noodle soup. Um, Baoan is definitely up there because it's almost impossible to find stinky tofu. I mean, it's so hard to find good stinky tofu anywhere else. So mm-hmm. those are definitely at the top of my list. And then, uh, like, Baoping is, like, always number mm-hmm. one. I always love to get that. So mm-hmm. no matter the season. And then, like, all the fruits there. Like, I love the wax apple with them. Um, like the sour plum powder and the like tomatoes with the little dates inside. So pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> I had initially interviewed Lisa about Yunhai earlier this year, and so much has happened since then. A week or so ago, I spoke to her again to get an update. Here's our follow-up conversation. Lisa, I was wondering about the story that you told me about the chili sauce that you'd bring back from Taiwan and uh the one that kind of led you to think about starting Yunhai. Do you still sell it? We do still sell that. It's called Stew Chili Crisp, and mm-hmm. that's um, you know our best-selling skew. Mm-hmm. So definitely a major part of our offering. And we're actually expanding to new flavors, which is a whole other <laughs> kind of journey to embark on. But hopefully by holiday. Awesome. Yeah, I can't believe it. Like so much time has passed since we last spoke. I think we spoke in um, February. So can you tell me like what are some things that have happened since we last spoke? I know that you had the soy sauce documentary released and you had a Kickstarter campaign. Um, Just tell me like what are some of the things that have happened since then? Since we spoke. So I actually left my job and started to be full-time. Thank you. Yeah. So um, it must have been shortly after that. My last day was actually Lunar New Year, which I didn't fully plan, but I just kind of (laughs) said, okay, this is pretty good, actually. So yeah, I put my notice in so I could focus more fully on the work. It was basically getting to the point where I either had to stop doing it or only do it Mm -hmm. because it just was not kind of feasible from Mm -hmm. like a lifestyle perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Yeah, so I did that, and then we released the soy sauce documentary where we did, like, an online premiere and a Q&A, which was great, and uh, then started, or then did the Kickstarter, which was a response to the pineapple ban, so that mm-hmm. wasn't in any kind of annual strategy, not that I currently have one, <laughs> um, but just sort of a reaction to, you know, what's going on, and I also started a newsletter, which is something I wanted to do for a long time, so... I've always had like a marketing campaign list that I rarely used. You know, maybe I would send out a discount code around the holidays, but this is like more like long form writing. It's definitely about some of the products, but mm-hmm. also more about like Taiwanese food culture. And I don't limit myself to writing only about things that we sell. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then one other major thing that happened is uh, I'm, in, I'm bringing on an additional partner. So her name is Lillian Lynn. Mm-hmm. And she's, uh, yeah, I'm bringing her on as like, uh, you know, chief of operations so we can expand the way that we need to. Great. Can you talk a little bit about your Kickstarter campaign? I understand it's a line of Taiwanese dried fruit. Is that a limited run and what kind of products do you have? Yeah, so it is um, kind of like the first product we've issued under our house 
brand or house label, mm-hmm. so Yunhai Selection. And uh, we have been wanting, I've been wanting to do dried fruit for a long time because, you know, as you probably know, like going to Taiwan, it's like one of the top things that I feel like a lot of people shop for in Taiwan that you can't really get mm-hmm. that easily outside mm-hmm. of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. It's like nothing like dried fruit here, which is kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so I've been wanting to do that for a long time. And then the pineapple ban happened right. where, you know, China wasn't allowing the imports of the pineapple. And I thought, oh, well, we should just do it now because dried pineapple is on the list and it would be like a good time to act and just try to make a difference in some way, whether that's, you know, by buying the product, but also like really raising awareness about this thing that's going on, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like we can buy the surplus, but also like everyone who saw that Kickstarter was mm-hmm. also aware of, you know, that. Uh, event in the news so Mm -hmm. um but you know instead of just pineapple we wanted to also do other fruit and i think other fruit farmers are vulnerable you know Mm -hmm. like pineapple is not the only fruit that could be harmed by trade isolation for example Mm -hmm. so we thought well let's just work with a bunch of different farmers and many of them for example will cultivate pineapple um but will also grow guava in the off season Mm -hmm. uh so a lot of mango farmers grow guava. So like it wasn't necessarily just working with like specific groups of farmers. It was mm-hmm. sort of like, what's everyone offering and what, you know, are they willing to trade and sell us? It's very simple. It's just like 100 gram packs of dried fruit. And we decided to do our own brand versus bringing another brand because we wanted to be able to source from a lot of different farmers mm-hmm. and not just source from one brand. Mm-hmm. Meaning that like a lot of these farmers don't have their own brands that are ready for market. I see. In the U.S. So we thought, like, by doing this, it's, yes, it's our own brand. It's exciting, but it also sort of provides this, like, unified front for, like, a multi-supplier, even though it's still single origin because, like, they're all farmers in the same region and in many cases part of the same co-op. Mm-hmm. Just creates, like, a, mm-hmm. yeah, unified brand to access those products. And the Kickstarter did amazingly well. So we raised, like, over 110, I think it's, like, $113,000 where we ended. Wow. Which, I thought we might get to 20K. Wow. I was like, oh, we'll get to 20K because, you know, I know people buy the soy sauce. And wow. Probably count on people to do this, but it just mm-hmm. really went, yeah, beyond. That's incredible. Kind of what Congratulations. I thought it would do. Wow. Thanks. Yeah, it was really, really exciting. And, we, you know, we kind of did it without, like, uh, we didn't spend any money on, like, assets or photography or, mm-hmm. you know, the design was actually done pro bono mm-hmm. by an uh, Asian-American design firm that wanted wow. to just do some... Wow. work and so we really didn't spend money to get it off the ground we didn't partner with any press really like because it was such a short mm-hmm. turnaround mm-hmm. so I kind of thought oh even if this is just like a way to get the pre-orders that's fine mm-hmm. but it really was yeah super successful and I think it's just a testament to the power of word of mouth yeah there's obviously a demand for it yeah so that was great and then we've been yeah just really you know, I'm at the point again where I'm like, ah, I just quit my job, but I, st- I, can't, I still can't keep up, which is a good sign of growth. But yes, yes. Trying to, like, figure out operationally how to, like, be as streamlined as possible and kind of, like, grow because our customers want things now. They want mm-hmm. us to, you know, we want to launch new stuff for them. That's so. great. Yeah, yeah, and I remember you spoke, speaking of, like, fruit, you talked about, like, possibly doing some jams and jellies. Are you planning to do that? Yeah, we're trying to figure out some jams. The jam maker, and this is like the case with a lot of vendors, just is is more slow to like onboard. 
mm-hmm. and get samples from. A lot of this is because they produce to the season. Mm-hmm. Or if the harvest isn't good, there was a drought in Taiwan mm-hmm. recently. It actually may still be going on. Mm-hmm. That that affects their production right. because it's not, yeah, it's like very directly getting the fruit. Um, so that's definitely still in the works. We are more near term. So in a couple of weeks, we're launching a whole line of cold pressed oils and stone ground uh, sesame pastes. So it'll be sesame oils and then bitter tea seed oil and uh, yeah, black sesame paste, white sesame paste, mm-hmm. and then some products that use those. So we have another chili oil that we're adding that's completely based on cold pressed sesame oil. So instead of the typical soybean oil or rapeseed or whatever, it's made from pure sesame oil. So it's a very unique product. Mm. Great. Wow. So congratulations. Like, what's it been like now that you're doing this full time? It's been great. I mean, I have to kind of like temper or maybe qualify the full time description because uh, in order to do it full time, we decided to like temporarily leave New York City and not pay for childcare. So uh-huh. I've been actually full-time momming oh, wow. and full-time business the, the, this entire time, which oh, actually wow. was not the plan. We had hoped to get like just a, I guess the short version of this is that, you know, we're in upstate New York where daycare centers are definitely much more affordable. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, well, I'll mm-hmm. put my job, we'll do this, we'll get mm-hmm. into a daycare mm-hmm. center. But because of the just pandemic conditions, it's like, everyone has moved out and like the waiting lists are super long and no one is available to babysit. So that wasn't exactly as I planned. So like day one out of the gate, I was like, okay, I'm watching the kids from nine to five. But my husband's been super supportive. So I work like early in the morning, late at night. (laughs) And then I'm with the kids during the day. So it's been a little nuts, but that's, you know, a temporary situation. And I have to say that, you know, it's really precious time with them. because They're so small. Like Mm -hmm. they're, like an infant and a toddler, oh, so wow. I'm not complaining about okay, it. Okay, great. Oh, you asked that question. I'm like, well, it's not exactly full-time. <laughs> full I do, like, as much as I can. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But, you know, I, that's why it's so great to have my partner, Lillian, because, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't do this without help, you know. And so what, what I've been doing to kind of compensate is, like, I – basically, you know, just onboarded, like, uh, I mean, it's a freelance personal assistant position, but I'm like, if I can't find childcare, someone else has to, like, schedule the doctor appointments, and that buys me, like, a few hours a week. So just trying to, like, cope with the situation and think out of the box of, like, wouldn't normally go for, like, a personal assistant thing so early on, but, like, right. because it's hard to find childcare, I'm like, well, maybe I can divert to this and right. do and take on the childcare myself. Mm-hmm. So we've been creative about it, and... Um, yeah, but in September, I think it will be just things are getting more normal, you know, like schools right. are going right. to be in person and et cetera. So I, I think in September, we'll be probably mm-hmm. in a more like a typical day job type of situation, which is great. I'm really looking forward to that. We also are opening a, a store. Oh, congratulations. When's that? Where is that going to be? Thanks. It'll be in East Williamsburg. So, mm-hmm. you know, the Winsong guys, yes. so it will be uh, there they are opening opening is the right word but they're starting like a commissary kitchen for their restaurant hmm. and um my it's right next basically like a couple doors down from Winson bakery mm-hmm. but i'll be the storefront in front of the commissary so they won't be part of the store but i'm basically like you know part of their operations there and i'm really excited because we'll have access to the commissary as well so i'm really hoping to make not restaurant food but like take-home stuff like zongzi or 
fish balls or anything that can go in a freezer case so that we can do some more, yeah, production. Oh, so you're going to make some prepared foods that people can uh, take home? Yeah, yeah, we've done that before on a limited basis, mm-hmm. for especially like around holidays. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking like, oh, if we could do like these, yeah, like holiday foods and mm-hmm. kind of have the advantage of like planning this kind of after the peak of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. it's not, mm-hmm. I'm not like, oh, this is going to be the end all be all of retail stores, but it's mm-hmm. a flexible space where it can mm-hmm. be like curbside pickup, prepared foods. Maybe we'll like go more heavy into retail as we grow, but it's a, uh, yeah, it'll be sort of a HQ, I guess. And when's that going to be opening up? Uh, I'm hoping that we will have something open to the public, whether it's a pop-up or actually open-open, like around the holidays, so maybe October. We are starting work in there, uh, like the exterior is being finished up now with the new storefront, but we're starting interior work in there uh, in a couple weeks. But just, yeah, giving myself like a long time to make it preventable because of the situation I mentioned before. If people want to connect with you or order from Yunhai, where can they find you? Yeah, they can just find me uh, at yunhai.shop. That's the website. So, And if you want to email me, you can email me through that too. Or Instagram. So at yunhaishop is Instagram. So I'm pretty active on that. Would love to have people sign up for the newsletter. It's uh, yunhai.substack.com. It's, yeah, definitely scratching my itch for writing, which I really (laughs) like. So hopefully people find that enjoyable. Great. Well, we'll be looking out for your new Sesame Paste products and then for your storefront and all that. Congratulations. Thanks for taking time to be on Talking Taiwan. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Lisa Chang-Smith, founder of Yunhai Taiwanese Pantry, about her vision for the business, how she's grown it, her love of Taiwanese food, her New York City Taiwanese restaurant recommendations, and where to get the best tips on cooking Taiwanese food. To learn more about Yunhai Taiwanese Pantry and links to items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. Talking Taiwan publishes new episodes on a weekly basis, and our work is made possible by the generous donations of our supporters and listeners. Help us to grow and continue producing engaging content by supporting us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Talking Taiwan. We are offering supporters invitations to a quarterly AMA or Ask Me Anything session with me, Felicia Lin, the host of Talking Taiwan, advanced notification of future guests, a Talking Taiwan tote bag, and other mystery gifts. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, tell a friend about us, or help others to discover Talking Taiwan by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.